The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky, Kinky Connections, and Kinky Education. We're kinky, done differently. what women and other wonderful humans want. A frank and fun discussion about the way people approach each other for romance, relationships, friendships, or other partnerships that make us happy, as well as an intimate discussion about how to connect with our own authentic self. With questions asked by a guy. And now here is your host, John, or as we call him around here, hi there, catsuit. Hello there, Nookie. Tonight, we will take a trip in the TARDIS and try to roll a 20 as we talk to a couple of amazing women who love all the geeky and kinky things and bring them to life through their educational opportunities and their strong presence in the community. So, as the doctor might say, allons-y. D20 Dom is unapologetically kinky known as a pint height, poly plus size, POC, 24-7 femdom, Fatal, who knows what she wants and will use her craft in mindfuckery and persuasive viper tongue to get it. Ever evolving, she often equates her 15 plus year journey into kink as falling down the rabbit hole and constantly enjoys teaching and being taught new things. As stated in her popular blog, From Mundane to Mistress, she loves normalizing kinky lifestyles across the board. And thus, she can also, and thus she can often be found writing on her blog or talking on her podcast, teaching classes and demos, or presenting locally in Washington, DC, New York, and online, as well as conventions around the world. Her West Coast counterpart is Miss Melody Pond, who is both a professional BDSM practitioner, as well as a lifestyle practitioner. Kink is a part of who she is at her core, gentle yet stern, and will giggle with glee while subjecting her bottoms and subs to devious things. All scenes she explores require an element of power exchange as she is a sadist top and all-around dominant queen. She enjoys exploring new and unique kinks and is the host of SD Bad Intentions, a series of events bringing her great style to the classy capital of the world, San Diego. Both are fantastic educators. Both are women of color and both are wonderful humans who join us, D20 Dom and Miss Melody Pond, on what women and other wonderful humans want. 
Kate's five questions about memorable firsts. We call it the first five. And as always, we start with the first five, five questions about first for the D20 Dom, also known as Natalie, and for Miss Melody Pond. D20, I will start with you. First time you ever picked up a D20 die, and what were you doing at the time? Oh, you mean like this giant D20 <laughs> die that I'm resting on? Um, you know, it's really funny because I was the typical cheerleader in high school. Um, I hung out with everyone though everyone was my friend and the geek so to speak I love you guys I started hanging out with them and they taught me about D&D and I thought it was completely stupid I did not understand it I didn't want to play it I didn't want to learn it so I sat and I drew a lot during D&D and so finally they were like you can't just keep coming here and drawing you have to play and I was like fine so I played for the first time when I was think 14 and I realized very quickly that you can do anything you want in D&D which I mean that just wow I wish someone would have told me that at the beginning I would have been playing so I think when I was 14 that's the first time I rolled a d20 and I loved the concept of being able to do anything you could imagine and um, I've just kind of loved it since and I just love the die as a practical thing to use pretty much every day or at least weekly I use this thing. Miss Melody Pond your first doctor. My first doctor would have to be number nine but actually technically it'll be number 10 because I first uh saw Doctor Who in the Sarah Jane Adventures, and it was a crossover where David was in uh, Sarah Jane, um, which I think was around um, his first season. And she kept mentioning the Doctor over and over and over again, and I was like, who the fuck is the Doctor? And I started watching Doctor Who. <laughs> so that's how I started. For both of you, first time you knew you were kinky, still not convinced I'm kinky like I'm still like I know I'm I know the things I do are kinky but generally speaking I think so many people have so many little fetishes and kinks and things that really get to them that are so odd and specific that they don't even realize this this weird thing that they like is a kink mm -hmm. and so like yes I'm kinky but I would love to live in a place where like it, kinky is just the normal like everyone's a little bit kinky I feel like everyone's on the spectrum so um yeah I mean yeah I'm I'm kinky I guess by vanilla standards <laughs> I definitely say that um I think I first realized it when I learned what BDSM was and it wasn't shocking to me in any way nothing was crazy I was like yeah this is what I've been doing and then it kind of sunk in like oh this is what you've been doing and so it was a realization that I'd already been doing uh, BDSM things without knowing what BDSM was. I think in my case wait was that my question as well? Yes, yes. for both of you. <laughs> I think in my case it was uh, similar because I found out you know exactly what kink was when I was about at 20 going on 21 
But when I did, it was sort of eye-opening for me because it made me realize that a lot of things I did and a lot of behaviors I had since I was in primary um, elementary school were, you know, were kinks. And that is something I didn't realize at that point. I just thought, you know, I was a weird kid or in middle and high school, I was the weird kid who had all these weird thoughts. But discovering kink in uh, my early 20s sort of validated everything I felt and was like, oh, there's a world, there's a uh, word for this and it is okay in these circles. First time you ever had a formal scene and what was it? Oh, Melody, I'm gonna let you take this one first. <laughs> I have to, uh, first, <laughs> one of the first scenes I have that I would remember actually came from colorme.com, which, <laughs> which is a very old uh, BDSM site. And it was online with this older guy who wanted to uh, play with me. And this is when, this was maybe within two weeks of me being into kink. And it was just like a basic worship, me to him, what you do over uh, over uh, uh, video cam sort of thing. It was very, very basic. I was a little bit scared because I had no idea what I was doing, but it was still interesting and exciting. Nice. I think mine, my first, like, I didn't realize I was in a scene the first time I was in a scene, which is also the first time I, like, had that light bulb moment of, okay, this is for me. It's when I was sitting down in a very fancy uh, throne. That's, that's literally what it was. It was a throne. And some boy sat down to talk to me. He kneeled because the throne was on a platform. And, you know, we were having a very intense conversation. And he was telling me, like, all the things that he would do if he were to serve a queen who sat on a throne like that and so me being me I'm just like yep this is just this conversation and not until he says like I would love to bow down for you did it kind of just click in my head like oh we're doing <laughs> something right now okay so I think that's my first scene I kind of just didn't even realize I was in a scene so um <laughs> you both are educators first time that you taught a lesson or wrote something that had feedback where it you knew that it changed the person that was writing to you um we're talking first, to you uh for a class i did or you know a skill swap i did was um and maybe late 2019 um, was when um, I started volunteering at my local dungeon and I was helping out with something called um, King Sunday School. So in the first Sunday of the month, you know, us church folks, you can tell <laughs> right to go to Sunday School. <laughs> but um, I was uh, doing a class and I think it was um, Electroplay because I love Electroplay and it was uh, Pervertibles as well. And a lot of people who came to that class were super excited. A lot of people went and bought our Violent One kits right after that because they never knew that you could play with electricity, you know, ways that were exciting because a lot of people, when they hear electricity, they think, you know, what is running through your house, you know, the voltage and all of that. They don't realize that, you know, you can play with static electricity or these other forms of electricity in really, really interesting ways. And people realizing that there are so many kink, uh, things in your house that can use for kinky purposes made them really, really excited. So it was great to, you know, have those people who listen to me talk, come back, tell me, you know, all these fun scenes they did at home and show me all like this new amazing toys to buy. 
So that was really, really good for me to see. It was very validating. Love pervertibles. Um, <laughs> so yeah, anything can be made kinky. Like you just have mm-hmm. to hold it in your hand the right way, I swear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can hit you with everything. That's kind of what I think. Um, for, for me, it was definitely um, about six or seven years ago, I was teaching a class on Monopoly. It's a class mm-hmm. that I've constantly been updating throughout the years. And I had one of the in- attendees come up and talk to me and tell me that she didn't realize that there was a name for you know what they were trying to do because they were going to break up before they had really had a chance to figure out how they would make this work because from her end it was impossible to do if she was monogamous and from her partners and it was impossible to do if he was poly and so she asked if she could have a copy of my notes for that class and I was happy to provide them and then three years later I saw them at another convention and they were engaged to be married and I was so happy and she was like if we hadn't come to that class I don't think we would have made it because we just there was no we didn't know where to go and so like that was the first time I felt like really touched that oh my gosh like people are listening to the stupid shit I say <laughs> like <laughs> so uh, it was really really humbling for me to to hear that from an attendee who came for both of you first time you ever genuinely felt comfortable in your own skin as a dame genuinely felt comfortable that's a very interesting question because that's something that you know you feel comfortable sometimes and then you sort of go back to not it honestly depends on your situation and what you're uh doing you know what um kink you're indulging in but if i have to pick overall it'll probably be about um three four years into uh my king journey i think it was maybe close to when i decided to actually pursue a relationship with kink and i did that because for the first time i felt like this was a part of me i could show you know people i was I, I planned on dating rather than dating people who were vanilla and knowing that I had these um, urges within me that I couldn't um, explore because I thought they would judge me. I know, think I was weird for it. So the first time I said, fuck it. And I am going to date, you know, people who are going to give me the things I want and, you know, people who can meet that need for me was one of the first times that I genuinely felt comfortable in that kink uh, skin. I like that. Um, I think <laughs> mine's really simple. I, um, it, was, it was many years ago, I was going to a kinky camp. It was outdoors and I didn't pack any makeup. I remember I just was like, fuck it. I'm not going to pack any makeup. It's too hot and I'm not going to be troubled over this. And I remember distinctly thinking in my mind, and if anyone says anything, then this just gives me more reason to smack them harder. And so <laughs> you guys might notice a theme here, I really like her. Um, and so that was kind of the first time I, I felt like, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't have to do what I think I'm supposed to do or what other doms mm-hmm. are doing. I'm just going to do what I want to do and fuck it. Kind of like you, Melody, just fuck it. <laughs> When we come back on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, we're going to talk a little bit about roles and royalty when we come back. Hello. 
Hello, I'm Jessie Sage from Peep Show Media. Peep Show Media is a multimedia magazine bringing news and stories from the sex industry. Be sure to check out our website at peepshowmedia.com for essays, porn reviews, events, interviews, news stories, and more. Also, make sure to listen to our podcast, The Peep Show Podcast, anywhere you get podcasts. And for a bit more of a personal glance into my life, make sure to check out my January 15th interview on what women and other wonderful humans want. Have you ever wanted to try something a little kinky in the bedroom but had no idea where to start? Or maybe your partner just told you they're into water sports, no, not the jet ski kind, and you really want to fulfill their fantasy, but you're nervous. That's totally normal. I'm Kate Sloan. I'm a sex journalist who's talked about kink in magazines like Cosmo, Playboy, and Glamour, and on my podcast, The Dildorks. My new book, 101 Kinky Things Even You Can Do, is a guide to some of the hottest and best-known kinks out there, from age play to zapping and everything in between. Each section offers three suggestions for ways you can try out your new interest with a partner or even by yourself. Curious? Order your copy now at 101kinkythings.com and start learning new things about your sexuality. We invite you to follow us on social media. Check us out at whatwomenwantp1 on Twitter, what Women Want podcast on Instagram, and for our kinky friends on FetLife at WWW Podcast. And now back to this episode of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. Welcome back to the show. We are joined by the D20, I say D20 Dom. Is it D20 Dame? It, the M-E seems like it's, what is it? It's uh, it's semantics. I mean, a lot of people go back and forth with it, and I think it's just a tomato tomato thing. I think if you if you're just starting out, a lot of people still are like dame. It's very proper. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't care either way. It's fine with me. It's Natalie. <laughs> there you go. And I Miss mean... Melody Pond. Yes, Miss Melody. <laughs> I was gonna say, I think the ME is just a way to, you know, differentiate based on, you know, gender, you know, this is a male dom versus this is a female presenting dom in writing. But I have heard a lot of people who have said uh, dom A, and I've also heard a lot of people who have basically chastised the people for saying dom A, and just go on Twitter, you'll see it every day. You finally answered the question I've been wondering about all this time. So now I feel better. So Natalie, the headline on your FET bio says simply, I am a queen. It does. Tell me what that means to you. It means that... I really do try to treat my household like a kingdom in the way that I like this is going to sound very I'm I'm in control of everything in my house everything that happens in my house goes by me nothing gets changed altered added removed nothing without my stamp of approval and it started to become a little running joke that was like well you better check with the queen before you do that and it's just kind of caught on people have gotten me crowns um (laughs) people have given me rings and pillows and things (laughs) that have crowns and other things on them and I went overseas and I saw a like jewel encrusted crop that I just had to have this is the most expensive kink toy that I have I don't ever take it to events it stays in a velvet uh 
case. It is very <laughs> near and dear to me, but it looks like what a femdom queen would have to rule a kingdom. And I love it. And I always say like, this is only going to be broken out in case of emergency. Like when shit hits the fan is when I, so I've never actually used it. I've just, I've just longed and looked at it. So that's kind of what being a queen means to me. I'm, I'm in control of everything. And um, I just, I'm going to have things my way and yeah, it, it will happen. Like we'll get around to it. It doesn't matter how long it takes. It'll be my way. <laughs> Melody, one of the things I love about the start of your FET profile is I am an ambivert because I have dealt with my life as an extrovert all my life. Mm-hmm. I have seen the difficulty of trying to make an introvert happy. What is an ambivert? Um, an ambivert is basically somebody who is somewhere in the middle is somebody who can be extroverted and introverted. So I am somebody who I grew up in the world where you know I had to be uh, very extroverted and I can uh, be extroverted and I can talk to people, I can do all the things, but I have a limit. And when I hit that limit, it's basically I shut down. I need to go into a room. I need to avoid people for at least 24 hours. I just need to not (laughs) have any human interaction. Because I think with a lot of um, introverts, when we hang out with people, it's basically it's draining for us. So even as I'm an ambivert, after I hang out with people, it gets to the point where it's draining for me. And actually hanging out with people for long periods of time gives me a headache. Because it takes a lot out of me, depending on, you know, the amount of time. So when it comes to things like when I go to King Kong's, I actually I have to take the last like I have to take a day off work because I am going to be so drained. I just need to not <laughs> with people. So to answer your question, ambivert is just somebody who is somewhere in the middle and can balance being introverted and extroverted. I find it interesting because I take a day off after a King Kong because I'm longing to be back there and be with the people. <laughs> and I think that that might be my extrovert personality is that my desire is to make connections. And when you suddenly pull apart those connections, I feel lost. That makes sense. Like, see, I like being around people, but I sometimes like being around you in the house, but we're going to be in separate rooms. <laughs> And I do this with my friends, which, you know, they come, you're like, hey, Melody, let's hang out. My fantastic here is a remote to my TV. I'm going to my bedroom. <laughs> and a lot of them are okay with that. I know that is how we hang out for a couple of hours. I will come out, we'll talk, and that's how it's just, it's going to be. <laughs> and they know me to the point where they're comfortable with that. And they know that if we hang out and I'm not talking, it's not that I don't want to hang out with them. It's just that I just need some time to recharge. I want to spend time with them. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean I want to talk at that very moment. One of the things that I wanted to investigate when we started this podcast a little over a year ago is to find out how people connect with each other and those true connections and how they can come about. How can somebody approach you, Natalie, to form a true connection? What are the things that they have to do? They have to not set off my bullshit meter. I am very, very adept at telling BS as soon as someone approaches me. 
I really do. I am, I am a social butterfly. I am also extroverted, but I feel like since the pandemic now, I feel a little more ambivert. Like I, there's certain people I don't miss. And so, you know, if you're (laughs) no shade to anyone, um, if you're coming to approach me, like just be real. If you came over to me because you thought I could do something to you, you want to ask me about something, you want to compliment me about something, even if you want to make a comment about something, if you just approach me genuinely, I'm usually way, way happy to give you the time of day. But if you come at me with preconceived notions about who I am or what you think I'm going to say, we're probably not going to hit it off on the right foot. Melody? Um, I think for me, it's um, a little bit similar. I think um, approaching me from a place of, I want to know you, not um, I want you to give me something, you know, approaching me and see me as a person rather than a thing that I know it's going to fulfill a specific need or a specific kink for you. So I prefer people to, you know, hey, try to be my friend, try to find something we can connect on. Don't just message me and be like, hey, want to peg me? <laughs> oh, you got that message too. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. It's, Not just me. It's, you know, it's like, it's the really, really sweet guys that don't even say hello first. And I'm like, Jesus, say hello first and then ask me if I want to peg you. But to answer your question, I think it just, it comes down to people being genuine, just people showing that they want to get to know you as a person and they don't see you just as a commodity. You mentioned pegging in particular. (laughs) And the reason I bring this up is people evolve in their kinks. For instance, I've gone from sensation to impact play And I don't know where my kinks are going to go from here. But I do know that when talking to people, being genuinely interested in something new, it's terrifying to even bring it up because so many people have just gone, I want you to do this to me. Mm -hmm. As opposed to coming through genuinely showing interest and want to be educated in that. So if somebody has a kink that they want to investigate, what is the best way to approach you to not only discuss that, but to be able to have a possibility of investigating what that might be all about? Uh, For me personally, I honestly like people being blunt and straight to the point say hello, ask me how my day is doing, and be like, hey, I see you partake in this kink. I want to do this. Can you provide some resources for me? Mm-hmm. That way you can go do your own research and, you know, you could be like, hey, can I ask you if I have any follow-up questions? You're trying to get information, not necessarily, go- not necessarily going, hey, you have done this scene. Tell me about it. You know, like what happened? You know, rather than asking me to recount every scene I have done, you can ask for resources. They you know, go do that research yourself. And maybe from there, you can find somebody, hopefully, who wants to partake in that kink with you. But coming from a place of wanting to learn, as always, I'm a good thing when trying to explore new kinks. 
Yeah, I'm going to have to wholeheartedly agree with that. I feel kind of the same way. I did have a gentleman who asked me about learning something that I had taught a class on. And I had said, you know, yeah, I'm happy to give you the, the session notes or whatever else you need. And he said to me, like, I would love to learn more about this, but I have a hard time reading on the computer. I can watch videos. Can you recommend any videos that have to do with this? And I was more than happy to do that. I didn't even think that, you know, I didn't even think outside of like typing links or whatever else. And so I was really happy that this person not only came to me for advice and resources, but also was like, hey, this, I do want your help, but this is something that, you know, I'm working around. Can you work with me on that? Because that to me showed a little bit of vulnerability and also authenticity, like I was talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, Otherwise, I would have just sent straight up just web links (laughs) to that person. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm definitely agreeing with you. I could be totally callous and say people who don't understand connection and just come through asking for something like anything sexual is out of line because you have to have a connection first. True? I want to say yes, but a lot of people that doesn't, it depends. A lot of people want that connection first. A lot of people are fine without that connection. Hmm. It really depends on the person. For me, it really depends on what's being asked. Um, You know, I don't consider myself a service top in any way. I just always love hurting people at any given point in the day. I'm thinking about it. And so if someone approaches me and they're like, hey, I just saw you give 50 spankings to someone, I would love if you could do the same for me. I'm probably going to be like, all right, yeah, just give me like five minutes to recoup and then you're next. But if you come to me and you're like, I saw you do this half an hour, 45 minute long role play scene with someone, can you now peg me or can you now tie me up and beat me until I cry? Or can you now anything that's not like, can I get you a drink? Are you okay? Great scene. Mm -hmm. So I feel like for me, at least, I don't necessarily need that connection, but Mm -hmm you need to like look at what you're requesting of me. Like, are you requesting something that requires a certain level of intimacy? And that doesn't necessarily mean either of us have our clothes off, but it could be Mm -hmm. very close. Um, Even when I do spanking, I have spanking that is reserved solely for people who I have a connection with and those who I'm doing pickup play with. There's different Mm -hmm. styles of spanking for me. And so um, I think for me, it just depends on the activity that you're asking for. I love the fact Miss Melody, that in your list of limits, which I found on your website instead of your FET, (laughs) one of them is anything that ends with the word jobs. (laughs) See, but you found that on my ProDom website. Yes, I did. But... I find it interesting that by putting it in that way, you are pulling stuff off the table immediately. And I think that that clear kind of communication is also needed from the person that you are looking towards is like, well, is this going to happen? Yeah, I think that just goes, that just touches on boundaries, you know, boundaries are good, boundaries can't change, you know, boundaries can grow, they can, you know, shrink, you know, it's that great area we like to play in, 
but again, boundaries are important. And you know, that like nothing ending job when I, you know, when somebody is exchanging money for a scene, that is a boundary for me because that also touches on a lot of legalities. And just that is something I personally consider more intimate. And that's something I don't want to do with just anyone. I totally so that's agree. the answer for that one specifically. <laughs> <laughs> what is it that makes you have a connection with somebody to the point where you want it to be a lifestyle connection as opposed to a professional one? Meaning, have you, and I'm asking this just out of naivety because I don't know, have there ever been a situation where somebody comes to you in a professional level and you fall and you go, I really enjoy this person so much? Or is that taboo in the pro world? I don't think it is. I honestly don't think anything is really taboo because it might be taboo to one person, but someone is someone else is very into that. But um, I have heard of that happen to a lot of people that hasn't personally happened to me. Because again, being a pro dom is something I do every now and again. It's not, it, no, it's not my main career. I call myself a part-time pro dom. It's more <laughs> every now and again, it's something I do because I really, really enjoy it. It's something I started doing when I discovered kink. So it's a part of me. You know, I go back to it every now and again. But um, falling for a client is something that has never happened to me personally. But I've heard of that happening. And, you know, that is great when people, you know, have that intense chemistry and you know, have that, you know, feel that intimacy towards each other. You're like, you know, I want to pursue this outside of a paid, you know, relationship. That could happen. But again, you're people who still, you know, you're like, no, I have a strong connection to you, but this is still going to be a paid relationship. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be one way or the other, really. Natalie, let me ask it to you in somewhat a different way. Have you ever developed a very strong connection and relationship with someone who came to you for pickup play? Um, no, no, I wouldn't say for pickup play. Um, a lot of people don't approach me for pickup play because. <laughs> You're a badass. They're, they're scared of me, <laughs> and I'm okay with that. So, the people who do approach me, I'm like, "Damn, you got balls!" And so I already <laughs> give it to them. But you know, with my with my sub, who is now my my husband, we started talking on collar space. Um, and yes, it still exists. Me- Melody it still exists. And I was very upfront, like, "Hey, like I'm visiting your country, and like I just want someone to play." with while I'm there like don't like these are my limits this is my boundaries like I don't date subs I don't do this and like everything will exist in this box and I had this totally planned out and the moment we started talking the very first night we talked on the phone was the very first night we had messaged each other and we talked for five and a half hours straight Mm -hmm. and I was like okay so at least he can keep my attention but I learned very quickly that he was just as perverted as I was and I was like (laughs) I have to meet this person and so that definitely went beyond what I was expecting I really was just looking for someone to beat while I was visiting a poor country um consensually you know as one does 
But you guys have like that strong, you know, chemistry and attraction that just drew you both to each other, even just you know from talking for five hours. Yep. Yeah, it was kind of one of those things where like, yeah, it's just when you know, you know. And <laughs> I think more than anything, if you are at least I always say like I'm I poly hearted but like mono minded and so like I always feel like oh I have a little bit more to to give and mm -hmm. so I was like ah what's the worst that could happen and so <laughs> here we are <laughs> when we come back on what women and other wonderful humans want we're going to turn the page to education when we return hi I'm Venus I've been sharing my love for this beautiful relationship dynamic for, well, years now. And I am beyond thrilled to announce that finally there's a matchmaking service for single women and single men who want a loving, cuckolding relationship. It's called Venus Connections. It's a personalized matchmaking service and three-week educational program that's safe, private, and individualized for what you want. Women, you no longer need to endure the headache of filtering through blank profiles and dealing with online creeps. And men, you can stop wasting time on those fake profiles and women with all sorts of ulterior motives. Venus Connections works for you to find what you want. You can learn more at venusconnections.com. That's venusconnections.com. You deserve the relationship of your dreams. Hi, this is Rachel Leadham, aka The Conscious Masochist. I'm an author and sadomasochism integration mentor who encourages the mindful exploration of your dark side. I offer astrological birth chart readings to interpret your sadomasochistic blueprint through the clues found within your chart. You can learn more about my work, including the ebook Conscious Masochism, at my website, www.rachelleadham.com, and join us on Instagram at The Conscious Masochist. And be sure to check out my episode in the archives of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. Hi. This is Jane Boone, the author of the novel Edge Play. It's a revenge fantasy where the big short meets Fifty Shades of Grey. Only the women wield the whips and the billionaires submit. You can find it at Amazon in paperback or for your Kindle. And be sure to check out my episode with Tara Indiana right here on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. Thank you. Realizing that you're polyamorous can be a wonderful insight. The Polyamory Dating Guide is a book about finding other people who share your view of polyamory and want to share it with you. This book includes a variety of sections on poly-specific dating, such as navigating online dating with a review of poly-specific dating sites and how to make a profile that works, real-time dating tips that will tell you where to find polyam people and how to make a positive impression, how to date as an existing couple, and if you should, dating as an introvert, queer in dating, and lots more. Get your copy at polyamorydatingguide.com. Are you liking what you're hearing? Check out the Total Archives wherever you find your podcasts. And please, remember to subscribe so you don't miss a minute. And while you're there, help John out by giving him a rating and a review. 
We really appreciate your feedback. Now let's get back to what women and other wonderful humans want. Welcome back to the show, joined by D20 Dom, a.k.a. Natalie, and Miss Melody Pond, talking about a number of subjects, but one subject that I know that is near and dear to both of their hearts is education and trying to help spread the good word of kink to many. What is your favorite thing, Natalie, to teach? Oh, that's tough. Um, I'm a reaction slut. So any class where I get a good reaction from the audience, I love teaching. Some of my favorites are anything that hurts my sub lucky puppy. So tit torture, the breath play class, the um, the electro play class, because he hates electric play, but I love it. And so everyone thinks like, oh, you guys have rehearsed this. And I'm like, no, he just really fucking hates this, guys. And this is his real reaction. So um, any class where I get to hurt my sub is, is my favorite class to teach, basically. Okay, I have to say Electro is also my favorite class to teach because, first of all, it freaks people when you bring out a violent one for the first time. <laughs> and when they see the spark, they're like, oh! <laughs> and it's just it's such a great reaction. And they know when you have them come up and talk to you, they're like, oh, you know, that's not too bad. I always so, bring a stun gun to mine just uh it's got to up the ante so we have a stun gun we have to check before we go places like is it legal in the state for us to have this um so yeah just always again shock value you need to get one of those i I can recommend some yes please because (laughs) you recommended the other one my partner hates that by yes yes i've done good (laughs) somewhere an angel is crying in happiness But uh, other than Electro, because Electro is after my heart, it'll have to be consent because um, a lot of people don't really understand that, especially consent when it comes to um, events you attend. I think that's important because just because you're in a dungeon and other people are in a dungeon and you're at the same event doesn't mean to consent to you touching them or, you know, hitting them or being aggressive with them or, you know, anything else. By the way, I did not miss the amazing pun you made about you bring out the stun gun for the <laughs> shock value. Yeah, I'm here all night, guys. Tip your halibut. Enjoy your way. Tip me on cash app. <laughs> Melody, I'll start with you on this one. What is the class that you most have to teach? the one that you think is the most essential for people to know? Uh, Consent and pervertibles. Consent is important and pervertibles. You don't have to spend anything or you have to go to Dollar Tree. Because if you just walk into your kitchen, there are a lot of things you can use in there. (laughs) If you go to your bedroom, there are a lot of things you can use in there. A pillowcase makes really, really good arm binders. You can just, you know, you can grab a fork from your kitchen. That's really, really good for uh, sensory play. Now you can grab a wooden spoon. I know you got some impact. So definitely consent and pervertibles are my must teach. As the movie UHF said, nothing says love like the gift of a spatula. (laughs) (laughs) Natalie, how about you? What is the essential class that you have to teach? 
So I'm going to pick two because Melody picked two. So I'm just going <laughs> to throw my two out there. This is like, we won't even let him tell us like one class. We're like, actually two. Yep, um, <laughs> we just can't be told what to do. It's, it's definitely going to be my submissive training class because I, no one would teach me about training a submissive. It was all like fantasy bullshit about training a submissive and, and doing all this stuff that just didn't seem realistic. And so I really like breaking down training an S-type into digestible materials, steps, and practical ways to like implement it into your everyday life if that's something you want to do. Because a lot of people just don't even, they don't even think of things like, oh, wow, I didn't even, you can ask a sub to do that. Yeah, you can ask a sub to do that. Absolutely. And so it's one of those classes where I see a lot of people seem to get things from it. And I like I like teaching it because I update it often. And so that's one of my favorite classes and the high protocol like T class. I just have to have to teach. Um, I'm very lucky that my lucky puppy is a very British submissive puppy and so he is the perfect accessory to my high tea protocol parties as I've told him and he's either there as himself or as his sissy persona Josie the sissy brat um, where he's dressed up like a French maid <laughs> either way it is a very very nice service night it is my uh, my idea every time I hold a high protocol event, I think, how can I make this just a little bit more than last time? And so every time I teach this class, I try to add just something a little bit more for the wow factor. And so we we uh, we have a lot of anyone who's been in that class is a super interactive class. They go home with goodie bags and we teach them all kinds of things, games, and they learn recipes. And so it's a very it's a super encompassing like four hour like immersive kind of thing that I like to do. It sounds really fun, actually. It's very fun. It's a lot of work, but fun. it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Natalie, what's the most transformational thing someone has taught you? Hmm. I've been giving a lot of just nuggets of wisdom. I'm going to have to like shout out Melina because I was a super fan of hers for as long as I have been into kink because it, it was no other black women in kink that looked like me that I had seen and so when I found her on FET I instantly was like I gotta know her and so when we had the chance to meet many years later um, I was telling her as a younger femdom I felt that I was excluded from certain circles and I wasn't really getting the respect or invitations that I thought I should and she said to me like well then fuck them and I was like <laughs> yeah but and she's like do your own thing start your own stuff and so that's when I started holding my own munches and started holding my own parties and events like we did dom um, divine dominance a couple years ago and that was a huge like one day event where it's all it's just a femdom centric event and so I really took to heart what she said about do your own thing and I've been doing my own thing since she told me that about like 10 years ago and so that's that was a really great piece of advice for her the most transformational thing that anyone has ever thought me will you think of now um it'll basically be to uh find my place in kink and you know be comfortable in that because I like uh Natalie said especially with being black a black woman it's um really really hard to find your place in kink especially if you're a dom or a top 
because a lot of people ascribe the role of uh, being a sub or you know, a bottom to you, you know, just because A, you're female presenting and B, you know, you're black. So, you know, that's where people think you should be. So I think uh, just the best advice that I've ever gotten is to find my place in kink and, you know, making my stance there, you know, being like, this is who I am. And, you know, I belong in here. You both just brought it up. So we will make the transition <laughs> to this now. Being black and in kink, is it as much of a challenge as I could imagine it could be? Or is it something that enables you to feel stronger in who you are? I think that's a balancing act. I think it can be a little yeah. bit of, of both. I have genuinely lost uh, other POC friends when they found out that I was kinky because of their own beliefs. And, you know, we all have to do what's right for us. But for me, I've always said, uh, people have come up to me and said, like, there's, you know, there's not enough black people here. Why do you keep doing this? Or, or why are you here? And like, I'm going to be here. I'm not going to go anywhere. It's kind of, I don't care if there's no one else that's here that looks like me, but I do notice that the longer I've stood here, the longer I've been involved in kink, the more people that do look like me are showing up. And I really have started to take note of that and appreciate that. And I've had people reach out to me and say, Hey, you're, you're one of the few black femdoms who has a blog or who is teaching or et cetera. And I think that's important, this inclusivity and also just being seen. I think it's important for people who are in the black community to recognize there are other people who are black and are kinky and you can be both it's okay like it's not gonna the world won't end i promise you <laughs> no um, i wholeheartedly agree with you um i think this is on the conversation you and how uh, you and i had um earlier was i uh, basically um black people finding your place in kink you know it's or you know black men finding um or I guess being able to accept your submission in kink and you know, them being okay with that. Because like you said, we have, uh, a lot of us has grown up with this mentality. I know kink is already something dirty. It goes against the church because you know, we're Christians on high holidays. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, it goes against the church and you know, it is just wrong. And that is filthy. So it is really, really hard, especially as black people to find where uh, where you belong in kink, especially when you basically have people on every side telling you, you know, you don't belong there. We, so it is a balancing out. It is a balancing act. My thing is we can't be here until we're here. That's kind of exactly. it. I always joke when I go somewhere, like I've, I've arrived. That's kind of my, I've, I've arrived and now I'm here. And so I hope just by me being there that other mm -hmm. people see that it's okay for them to be there too. Absolutely. And I think even till now, when I go to an event and I see other Black people, I get so excited. Me too. <laughs> I'm just like, hey. Yeah, hey. I'm like, what's up? Hey, hey. welcome. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, let's do the thing. I see you. <laughs> and especially when I see Blacks, you know, when I see Black submissive men, I get mm. so excited just seeing a Black man who he knows used to, you know, being the alpha and used to being the macho and this being told he has to be strong all the time being able to be strong and it'll be all those things but also be submissive mm -hmm. because being submissive doesn't negate you being strong or even you being an alpha it just means yes i am a strong man but i am also submissive mm -hmm. and i can have both these things and that's okay yeah is it possibly because and this is literally a pie in the sky question off the top of my head but do you suppose that it might be 
the fact that it might not be cool to be vulnerable and be a black man yes. that keeps them from being able to accept what this is? Partly, yes. It is basically, I think it is a societal influence. Society and stereotype have told a lot of men that it is uh, feminine or it's girly to be vulnerable. And other for you to be manly and be strong in your masculinity, you know, you don't have to, you know, short out vulnerability and vulnerability is incredibly sexy. Seeing a man who can be vulnerable is just, it's I know. amazing. I'm no cum, isn't it? <laughs> right, it's just, it's like cry in front of me and it's okay, we can cry it out. <laughs> One of my uh, last submissives happened to be a black male and he was new to kink and he was trying this for me and I remember um, one of the things that he said immediately when I had showed him the collar and I was like, yeah, I like, like collars and I would like you to wear this when we go to events. And he was like, no, that will make me look like a dog. And he was like almost repulsed by this idea. And I kept trying to get him to verbalize to me what about this collar really set him off. And I said, from my viewpoint, you know, the collar is, um, you know, if you're looking at it from a dog, like what a dog is man's best friend. So I'm going to have you, you know, right by my side you're gonna be right there I'm gonna have you under my wing and like it was kind of just like he just needed to hear it from a different mm -hmm. perspective to kind of get that idea and by the time you know we had gotten well into kink he would sleep with a collar and so it was very funny to see this kind of this this kind of new way of thinking all because he broke away from what he'd been told or even his knee-jerk reactions to to what he thought it meant yeah, I think it sounds like it was basically him getting reassurance from you that, you know, him putting that color on or him being submissive did not take away anything from who he is as a person. Mm -hmm. It just means in addition to that, he's also submissive. Yeah, I think so. We are one year down the line from what was an amazing summer two years ago where it was brought out in the open for so many people that they, especially if you're a white privileged male or female, that you have to educate yourselves on not only black lives, but also gender came to the fore, I'd say really in, in force a couple years ago to the point where now it's not only thinking about a person as a male, female, black, white, Native American, African American, all the labels can be thrown out there. But the fact is, when it comes down to it, we need to be better humans to each other. Mm hmm. Do you feel as though in what can be the non-judgmental community of kink that somehow the kinky people got a jump start on this? Absolutely, absolutely. I have been using other pronouns within the kink community for the last, I don't know, eight years, nine years, I don't know. I've had friends who have transitioned from a decade ago. And so this is not new to me, but a lot of my friends who are vanilla are just, they seem very taken aback by this. And I, I find it somewhat amusing because I'm like, I've been doing this. Like, I'm sorry that your circle is that small, but I do like that the kink community has given us a leg up. And I think 
in some other events that we saw, such as the Me Too movements and things like that, mm-hmm. you know, Melody, you've mentioned consent as one of your classes. And I think we're starting to get more optics on what consent looks like outside mm-hmm. of the kink world. But most kinky people in some way or another are being taught or have resources that are like 101, this is consent. And so I do like that in some, in some of these ways, we're very forward thinking as a community. I agree. Um, I think the great thing about kink is it has taught a lot of people acceptance. Like you said, be it pronouns, how people uh, present, you know, whatever gender they ascribe to or do not ascribe to whatever sexuality they are. Kink has created the space where in most cases you're just like, okay, cool. You know, what are your pronouns? How do you want me to refer to you? And that is okay. Rather than um, in the real world where we have this almost fight of being like oh no I'm not gonna you know address you like that you know because I don't agree with that and I'm like <laughs> how much does it take to you know just <laughs> it's like me introduce myself I'm like hey I'm Melody you're like no I'm not gonna no, call you that not that you don't like a Melody that's how I feel about exactly. it exactly it's, it's the same it's thing so stupid but back to the question yes kink has created the space where it has taught us acceptance it has taught us consent and it has taught us how to deal and mesh with a lot of different people, which in the real world, you know, we don't usually have uh, that uh, many type of people like that interacting with each other. With King, you know, sort of a meshing pod, I don't have like all types of people in there. And the real world, you sometimes tend to stay and be with people who are just like you and you don't get to interact with other social or social groups and things like that. And we still have we still have some some ways to go. I don't want oh, people no, to think definitely. that you know we are not without fault because we mm-hmm. still have some issues that we yep. are working on as a community and as a group of people who are doing things like this consensually to each other. So yep. um, I do think that we have room to grow, but I am impressed Absolutely. with the with the with the strides we've made. Yeah. If there were strides that have been made during COVID, as awful of a time that it was and is the one positive it did at least within the kink world and maybe in all of the world is education how many classes have we all taken during covid (laughs) taking a look at zoom and i hear people saying i've got seven classes this week And you all being the educators, you all have been in huge demand. Have we really hit this renaissance of kink education? I think the silver lining, yeah, I think it's what you said. I think this is just a happy happenstance. This is the most I've ever taught in one year. And I have, this is the least amount of travel I've had to do for it. So it's very strange for me to be able to teach from, you know, where I'm sitting down in my bed. So um, I do feel like we're getting a little bit of a resurgence and we need it. Oh, goodness. Mm -hmm. We need it. (laughs) So so I'm happy to be on the upswing with this cycle. Um, I agree because with uh, the lockdown and everything it made us it made it possible for me uh, for me to take classes from educators I would have never heard about or never known about from all over the world so it made it possible because you know it was just you know I just had a click and, you know sign up for a class and that was it I didn't have to fly to you know San Francisco to take a class I didn't need to you know travel out of uh my state to take a class it just it made king classes 
so accessible to everyone. It, you know, as long as you were interested in the class and you found the right resource, it was accessible to you. And again, if it wasn't for the lockdown and stuff, I never would have met you guys. So <laughs> that's another positive. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it kind of weeded out some people who may have been yeah. using kink to try and, you know, whatever, you know, I'm not, I'm just saying, I feel like it's weeded out people who maybe weren't going to take the safety yes. side of things seriously. Absolutely. It has written for safety too. I know that I desperately miss being at kink conventions. The amount of connections and genuine friendships I have made there, plus going to conventions with friends, bringing us even closer together. Do you think we're going to eventually be able to get back to that or is there always going to be this little sense of, do I feel safe there? I think there might be. I think there will be a time when we all feel safe again. I know at least through my friend's feed, everyone is dying to get back out to in-person events, but most of my friends are being really smart about it. And so when everyone feels safe, I feel like everyone's going to be here to enjoy it. Yeah, um, I feel like even if we get back to that point where everyone is out and about, there's always going to be that fear, you know, at the back of our minds. At least it's going to be for me. So I went to Dom Con last week. And this is, you know, a big kink uh, con in uh, Southern California. And it was great. It was, you know, only vaccinated people. It was a mask at all times. But even being there, I still had um fear. Like I didn't go to uh, the Friday play party partly because I had a headache from a lot of socializing, but also I was terrified of being in a room with like 200 people. Just I could not bring myself to do it. But you know, I still went and I got to enjoy parts of the uh, of uh, the convention. I have been to other smaller um, king play parties, but even when that happened, it took a couple. It took a couple of parties for me to feel safe enough to play because. Due to the lockdown and stuff, there is just this fear that was associated with me playing with a new person, especially in public. And it's going to take some time to work through that because COVID did a number on our collective mental health. And it's going to take us some time to get past that. But I also think that you can't blame people who put into their risk, risk factors risk profile that was the word i was looking for the ability to go back to play because it has been so difficult for them and i mentioned myself but i'm fully vaccinated so i feel somewhat safe to go out i just missed the connection and being touched and feeling like i can be close to somebody Oh, no, I completely agree. And I am not saying I do support people's right to choose health. I have been to a couple of play parties. Mm -hmm. But what I'm saying is, even though I've been there, just the act of playing with someone new took a while for me to, you know, sort of go back into that. And one of the first people I played with was when a co-topping scene with uh, my business partner and friend, Nina. And was the fact that I know it was somebody she knew, was somebody she felt comfortable with. So I felt comfortable doing that with her. 
And other than that, the only other person I've really played with in a while has been my partner. Because for a long time, it was more internal fear. It was all my anxiety, you know, coming to life. So yes, everybody is 100%, you know, responsible for your decisions. So, you know, you can play, you can wear a mask, you can not wear a mask. I am vaccinated. I know what my risk profile is. And just for me personally, it took me some time, even after going to parties. It was basically like I had to re, I had to basically re, uh, relearn how to <laughs> be comfortable playing in public to a degree. I don't know if that was just me. <laughs> oh no, no, that's interesting that you said that. I I haven't played in public at all. You know, I'm lucky enough to live with the boy I like to beat the most. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but we actually haven't done very much play during the pandemic because we've just been. I think we're just all burned out. You know, yes. you mentioned the risk profile, and I think for me the risk profile at least the way I view it as whatever it is, you've got to stick with that. So if, mm-hmm. if it's your thing of like, hey, I'm not going to see anyone, then you have to stick to that. Because if once mm-hmm. you go outside of that bubble and then go somewhere else, now you've changed your risk profile and thus changed the risk profile of everyone else's around you. We're talking about consent here. And so mm-hmm. my, my main thing was you have to do what is going to be not only safe, but smart. Like think smartly Absolutely. about what it is you're doing. It's fine if you and someone else want to be risky and you've thought mm-hmm. about the ramifications of it, but if you're like, I'm just horny and I got to see this person, um, then, you know, think about your motivations behind that. I know, John, you uh, used to be a sensualist and I'm sure there's still a big part of you that is very much mm-hmm. into that. And so me, I'm not a touch person. I don't like being touched all that much. And so the pandemic, I was like, yeah, I don't have to give hugs at events. This is amazing. <laughs> yes, we don't have to do the awkward handshake hug thing and so uh but my but my puppy is very touch heavy and at events we spend a lot of time pet I spend a lot of time petting him and doing other things and we're connecting and so it's been a little bit different I can tell that he is requiring more touch than usual and I'm requiring more like uh, than usual and so I do think some people that is part of their mental health you know that is part of their mental health uh care and so for some people i know they just cannot it they start to feel very bad without human connection after a certain point and so anyone it's like you know you have to weigh it is it my mental health or is it um because one way or another it's going to end badly for you so you you really have to take it into account and so i don't begrudge anyone who went out i do have a problem with some of the things that i saw happening where people were holding large uh, house parties when they were not, you know, not doing the ordinance for the capacity of people, not caring that people were crossing state lines. I'm in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. so Maryland and Virginia are right here. You can drive in all three of them in 15 minutes, and so I did get upset that I saw that, but I was glad that the community bounced back really quick on that and was like, nope, mm-hmm. none of that. We're going to shut down these events and figure it out, and so for the most part, I understand why some people chose to go out and and seek, you know, BDSM on a smaller scale than what they normally would be if it was good for their mental health. And like, mm-hmm. I respect that. Oh, I absolutely agree. I think you made a really, really good point. Like, um, like you, the uh, person you basically played with most of the pandemic was your partner. And for me, it was uh, my previous partner and my current partner. And even uh, my, other, uh, cas- my other casual play partner, we played maybe once during the whole pandemic because there was still like that anxiety that came with just 
touching someone, even though I keep something I love so much. Yeah. Yeah. My friend had just wrote me last week is why I said it was interesting and said they had gone to their first event. It was at a house party and they felt paralyzed with fear to play. And they were like, what's wrong with me? And I was like, well, I don't think there's anything wrong with you, but I can tell you where this trauma may be building from and like this sounds very normal we've all gone through a very traumatic event we're still in it anyone who says otherwise is they'll come around to it but we're all dealing with this in different ways and so Mm -hmm. if you get to an event and you've been looking forward to it and you get there and you feel like you can't play you don't know why it's you are not alone there are going to be a lot of people who are going to have to relearn stuff I know my Mm -hmm. spanking arm is super weak so seriously though (laughs) like I don't (laughs) so like whatever you're feeling you just like like sit in that and process it it's not wrong but just figure out you know what you can do to to move through it and i think it all comes down to the fact that education is key consent is paramount and if you're thinking with your head and your heart and not your private parts (laughs) they won't steer you wrong yeah yeah there are oftentimes I have to be like, wait, is this me or is this yeah. me? Okay. You have to be like, hey, uh, is this you? <laughs> yeah, is this you? Okay. <laughs> We've been there. I always like to finish up each episode by giving you all the opportunity to promote whatever you'd like to promote and tell people how they can connect with you. So let's start with D20, Miss Natalie. How can people connect with you? And do you have anything that's coming up in the future that you'd like to promote? So you can always find my stuff on my website. It is mundane to ms.com. It is a living kinky memoir that is over a decade long in the running. I'm taking a short break because like I just said, I am burnt out. And so I will be back writing there. I haven't gone anywhere. I'm also on Instagram at d20dom and you can follow me there. I post pictures again when I'm not being lazy and recharging, but I will be back. I promise you. I have no no events on the horizon. I don't even know what's going to entice me out of my hobbit hole in 2022, but I hope (laughs) to be out there doing stuff in 2022, but we'll see. We'll see. Check my profile. I'm on FetLife at the 20 Dom. For me, let's see. Um, I am uh, the founder and a co-host of uh, San Diego Bad Intentions. So uh, you can find us online at uh, sdbadintentions.com. I host Femdom uh, Play Parties in San Diego, and we are expanding to um, have other events in there right now. You can find me on FetLife as just at Ms. Melody Pond. If you look up Melody Pond, you'll find me. <laughs> and you can follow me at Twitter at uh, Ms. Mouse Pond. So, you know, just Google it. You'll find it. <laughs> Speaking of Google, and I have to ask you this, with your name being Miss Melody Pond, which is the daughter of uh, the doctor and uh, River Song. Spoilers! Spoilers! <laughs> Actually, that is wrong. Melody Pond is not the doctor, is not a daughter of the doctor Uh-oh. and River Song. Melody Pond is the doctor of Amy and Rari, right. who oh, regenerates right. into River Song. Oh. Oh, she laid some Hoobian knowledge down. I'm like, wow. let's get that cleared up because Molly Pond, <laughs> well, which let, was... <laughs> let me go back because I'm editing all of this out. I don't want to be embarrassed. <laughs> <like this. laughs> 
Um, that's right. He didn't um, consent to be so, this embarrassed. So, and and spoiler free. Oh. I were back. I actually edited a huge conversation out of this that included spoilers. See what oh. I did there? And so I have to ask, you mentioned Google. When people Google Melody Pond, do you find that people are looking for characters from the doctor and find you and they go, oh. Uh, sometimes it goes, if you look up this Melody Pond on Google, I do show up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'm like, fantastic. Yeah, those searches up SEO. <laughs> I didn't have to do anything for it. So. Thanks, Google. Thanks yeah, it works my favor. But yeah, I think um, there are good and bad parts of it where if you Google Melody Pond, you might find me you know, on the second or third page, or you can find a lot of Doctor Who related things. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, it's. All roads lead to you, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> You'll find me eventually. And if you ever meet her in person, just say, hello, sweetie. <laughs> uh, it I might been... respond. <laughs> <laughs> yes, maybe you don't want to say hello, sweetie. You might get a slap across the room. Anyway, it has been an absolute pleasure having both of you on uh, this program. And I look forward to staying in touch with you all. I'm sure we will be co-presenting on a workshop somewhere down the line. And I really appreciate you being with me today. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Such great energy whenever I get to interact with these two. And I look forward to doing it again very soon. Next week on the day her book comes out, we visit with the fantastic Mistress Alicia, the New York City dominatrix who has penned, Yes, Mistress, How Males Crave Female Domination. It's a great read, and we'll talk to the author herself. That's all we've written for this week's show. If you want to use your words, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. Pretty please. Until next time, I'm John proudly known as Hi There Catsuit. I hope I've earned the privilege of your time and remind you to always remember consent and to love each other always. What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want connects with you. We invite you to follow us on social media. Check us out at What Women Want P1 on Twitter, What Women Want Podcast on Instagram, and for our kinky friends on FetLife at www.podcast. This has been a presentation of Dating Kinky. Kinky done differently.